Hello, I'm Shelly Till. Welcome to the Too Much Grit to Quit podcast, where I speak to some of the greatest athletic minds about overcoming adversity and building your grit muscle. My guest today is a athlete mental health coach and the author of the Athlete's Mental Health Playbook. Please welcome Misty Buck. Hi there. Hey, so nice to be here, Shelly. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for having Thank- me. Yeah, thanks for joining me. Um, I, we were talking before we went on the air that you are in Miami and I am in frigid yeah. Iowa, so I'm really jealous. <laughs> <laughs> What's, yeah, I mean now, and then in the summer when you know you start sweating just checking your mail, don't be too jealous. <laughs> uh, well, I, I just have to ask to, so I can live vicariously. What's the temp in Miami today? It's actually it's actually warmed up considerably from like the, we've had a really pleasant winter um but right now it's, it's warmed up so we're like in the upper 80s like yesterday i got in my car and it was high 90s it was wow. it was it's pretty warm nice. well, <laughs> it's pretty warm it's not summer warm but it's it's yeah. warm <laughs> i was actually in miami about this time last year i was there for the super bowl so it was like oh nice perfect perfect weather but better than my uh, 13 below zero here oh. in the lovely midwest but it's february so we're, we're rounding the corner. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a I, good thing. I appreciate you taking time. I'm really, um, Misty and I met on clubhouse, <laughs> which is, I, I've met. We'll figure. Clubhouse, <laughs> right? It's, um, it's kind of one of those, it, it's, I'm to the point where I'm trying to decide, is this a good thing or not? But, um, it's been amazing in terms of meeting people like you and like-minded, um, people who are on a mission, and you know, but it can certainly suck your time. <laughs> oh yeah, you gotta you gotta manage it because before you know it, you'll be in rooms all day, right? Exactly, exactly. But I wanted to um, have you on my Too Much Grit to Quit podcast because your message and your passion and your purpose fits perfectly with uh, why I do this podcast. So let's just start with um, your title, what you call yourself, a ment- an athlete mental health coach. What is that exactly? Yeah. So basically what I do, and I, this is, I love when people ask me this question. So like, what exactly is an athlete mental health coach? Well, first let's talk about, um, I know you're ICS certified, so you know this, but a, a coach is not a therapist. You're not a psycho psychologist. I'm not licensed. They can't prescribe you medicine. And essentially what a coach does is again, you know, this Shelly, but we're not looking at the past and why things happen. We're looking at the present and moving forward. So as that relates to mental health, it's really helping athletes develop a mind, body, and soul um, routine to help them develop this this place of transformational clarity, right? Because when you're going through, and, and mental health, by the way, doesn't necessarily mean mental illness. I think that that's a really common um, confusion that people have is they think, oh, okay, they think mental health, and all of a sudden they think that it, it's equated with sickness, and it's, and it's not. Mental health really is well-being and health illness is when you get into like depression and OCD and PTSD and anxiety and all these other things. Right. And those are really things where they're like a therapist or, you know, can really come into play. Um, but for, for something like with mental wellness is we're looking at, even if you're dealing with these mental issues or illnesses, um, with a professional, Maybe you want somebody like me to help you move forward through things. So it could be like, okay, in therapy, I'm understanding why these things are happening. But as in coaching, we're looking at how do I develop tools uh, to 
improve moving forward? How do I, things like stress management, for example, or I have anxiety and I feel like I can't get out of bed or just, you know, like working through mindset and, and developing wellness through that mind, body, soul approach. Do you have a specific type of athlete that you work with? So, you know, it's funny, I don't seek this out, but I end up most often working with men who play basketball or football. It just seems, I don't know why, that's just the way it seems to be. But I have worked with um, track athletes and in some other sports as well. And do you work, are they current athletes or do you work with people who are transitioning from, the, you know, being an athlete and into, I like to call the real world? <laughs> yeah, we have that whole athlete transition. Um, I work with both. Um, most are people that are, are in that transition phase already, or they've already, they're already in that other stage of their life, but I, I work with both. And how long have you been doing this kind of work, Misty? So I got my coaching certification in 2014 and I didn't hone in on the athlete mental health stuff for a few years. So that, that took me a little while to sort of figure out my niche, if you'll call it that. Um, but yeah, and then I published the book. I started the blog a few years ago, started the coaching. I also own a, a marketing agency. So I got into coaching. Uh, I started that in 2008. So, but I got into coaching is because I felt like, um, I was missing something in, in being of service to others. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I started to dive into this. Well, that's a great compliment to have, right? As a coach, because I don't know about you, but I find like the, the one thing about coaching that I don't like <laughs> is the marketing part of it you know <laughs> like i'm i know i'm really good at what i do and you're really good at what you do and but just that piece of it and try you know finding the clients and and the right fit and all of that um is, so how has that helped you in your coaching practice and how have you how have you been able to market yourself in this niche that's a really funny question because as a as a marketer you know, you can be marketing, you can be trained in different pieces of marketing. So my traditional background is in public relations. But my agency is also is actually a social media marketing agency. And it has been since the get go. And that's like its own specialized thing. But then you get into like landing pages and sales copy. There's so many like, so in other words, there's so many different facets of it. And I come from the background where I've always been in the background. And so to have to put myself forward, I actually, I end up working with people to help me do that, because it's a lot harder to do that for yourself <laughs> than it is to have to do that for, for other people. But the benefit is that I know, okay, like I have to be on Instagram how many times a week to post. This is how to do a nice story. This is how to do this. You know, I know how to put together a decent video for YouTube and those kinds of things. So I guess it's a little, a little bit of ahead of a game in that regard. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm curious from a, you know, cause we have all kinds of people that, that listen uh, to this podcast and some are in the business side of things and, and some are mm -hmm. in the consumer side of things, but um, what would your, uh, you know, just knowing what you've learned with your marketing background and, and developing this niche, what would your suggestion be to someone who is, you know, interested in really this kind of um, business, but in terms of their niche, like might feel like, oh, I don't know, you know, if that's too drilled down or, right. um, you know what I mean? Like, how did you, how did you, because you said you didn't start with that. I didn't. No, I didn't. How did you get to it? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. A lot of a lot of trial and error, a lot of listening to other people say, "Oh, you should do this or you should do that," and um, and not. But once I started to, and I would put things out there, and the idea would feel really good, 
-hmm. but when I put it out there, like something would fall flat and it would, like, I would feel that within myself. Mm -hmm. And in other words, I didn't feel totally aligned and I didn't feel, and I would feel like initially excited, Mm -hmm. but when it came down to, you know, what they call day three and it was time to like, really like, even though it's not as fun and new anymore and you have to continue to do the work, I, I quickly was uninterested in it. Uh (laughs) So well, so what I did is, is I did a lot, I did a lot of reflecting and basically what I thought about, I just was my life and things that I needed in my life and experiences that I've learned from, and then how I can help others through that as well. So that's how I ended up in this field because I grew up around sports, basically learned, you know, I, and I was a super emotional kid, but always learned, you know, don't be weak, Missy, stop crying, you're soft, blah, 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 right? Like I learned all that. And I never learned how to deal with my emotions in a healthy way ended up going through pretty serious bout of depression in, in, as, in, as a teenager in high school. And, um, and I say pretty serious because it was, I was contemplating suicide. I mean, it was, it was a really dark place and a very tough period to get through. And so when I sat back and I looked at that part, but then I looked at the sports part um, and I was also, I, I coached, my dad was a coach. So I was always with my dad on the sideline, but I was also a cheerleading coach. And so when I thought, when I look back at these experiences, in other words, these were two of the most impactful experiences in my life. My favorite thing that I ever did, the most rewarding thing I thought I ever did was as a teenager when I coached cheerleading. And then at the same time, I went through this really tough period with the depression and the mental illness. And it sort of dawned on me, why can't I be that resource and kind of combine these things and be the resource I didn't have when I was growing up. So that's how I landed into that, that heartfelt aligned niche. It wasn't, I'm not, I didn't do it because it was, a money-making opportunity it's because it literally was like okay here's an opportunity to allow myself probably to continue to heal but also to help others heal so then i'm curious how it transitioned into writing a book because that's not an easy <laughs> um, you know, it can be very daunting so what was that yeah. Process like? yeah so i i love that question too um so when i started when i picked the niche what i decided to do was to or I had had a blog anyway, but I was like, you know what, I'm just going to write only about this topic. And it was like, I tell people it was like fire from my fingertips. It just was like pouring, this stuff was pouring out of me. And then I had somebody say to me, oh, Misty, you need a lead magnet, right? You need something on your website to get people in there. And again, these are the things that as a marketer, I know, but when it comes to like drilling it down for yourself, sometimes it gets, it gets really murky. Um, and you can be like super judgmental of the stuff that you're putting out there. But anyway, so, so I was like, okay, I'll put some of these logs together in a PDF. And then what I thought ended up happening just naturally is I was like, why don't, you know, this is actually really good material. I have more material. Why don't I flesh this out some and just put it into a book? And that's what I did. And so I self-published and I put it out last year. Good for you. So what, if we were to get this book, what kind of information would we see in it? Yeah, that's an that's another awesome question. So the book is actually, it's not a super long book. It's obviously not written in a clinical method because I am not a doctor or have those degrees, right? That's not my way. It's very simple and digestible, but there's things in there that are going to help you give yourself permission to open up to other people, right? Because I find that with the athletes that I've worked with, and again, it might, I'm not generalizing, but just the athletes that I've worked with, it's been a lot of, it's really hard to open up to other people for one reason or another. And so this, one of the things that the book gives you is that permission to open up to other people. It helps you learn how to do that. Um, there's exercises and worksheets in there. So all this stuff that you're learning, you can actually apply while you're going through the book. Every chapter has different exercises and there's a whole chapter in there with just worksheets. 
And again, the reasoning is for that is I hate reading something and then not knowing what to do with that information. <laughs> so, but there's stuff in there about how to use mindfulness and meditation, right? That's really awesome for stress management, for focusing, for all those types of things. There's stuff in there about re affirmation. So reframing negative thought habits, um, becoming aware of those negative thought habits and then how to reframe them. Uh, there's super powered mindset shifts in there. So things to really help you just really refocus resolve that inner conflict and move forward with some confidence. I'm curious from your perspective and the work that you've been doing, um, what are some of the more common themes or common issues that you've seen in athletes in this space? In the mental health? Um, I think, let me think about that. That's a really good question. So I think one of them, one of the top ones is, is well there's a couple actually there's confidence is one mm -hmm. so where you're not you know what they're afraid to and i don't feel like necessarily performance coaching but it always seems to like seep into this area so where an athlete might be man you know like i get distracted or i'm worried about what other people think mm -hmm. or um you know i want to play more focused or whatever like that kind of stuff so we'll work through building confidence in in those areas but it also might be somebody that comes to me and it would say let's use the athlete that's transitioned out right and they're stressed out because now they don't know who they are and right. that's what those are that's what they tell me and see i don't know who i don't know who i am outside of my sport and it becomes this, this internal crisis which actually becomes like an external crisis because now they don't know what to do so we're we're looking at that but under those things there's always something else right like there's always those deeper questions and a lot of it is can I own my emotions? Am I aware of my emotions? Can I become aware of my emotions and be comfortable with that? Can I be comfortable? Uh, you know, another thing is athletes, as you know, they'll often, their sport is their outlet. And so no matter what's going on in their life, they love their sport because that's where they get to like run everything out. But then are you comfortable with who you are when you're by yourself and you're sitting in quiet or is that super uncomfortable for you? So those are just a few of like the major things that seems to come up over and over again. Uh, and I'm the, the last one that you mentioned um, using your sport as it's, I, I call it, that's their therapy, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I was that athlete as well. It's, it's what allowed you to get away from the chaos around you, right? Just melt into it. And so I'm curious what your experience has been during this um, last year when so many sports were shut down across the country. Um, even now, there's still, uh, you know, my son is playing. He plays college basketball right now, and their season was shut down for two weeks, I think, in November. And then, again, you know, certain members of the team were not allowed because of COVID positive tests and whatnot. And so it's just as I say, the only certainty is uncertainty in this last mm -hmm. year. And it's been a year mm -hmm. since we've been going through this now. Um, so what have you seen in terms of working with athletes that had that this pandemic environment where everything is kind of, you, you just really can't plan ahead. How has that affected the athletes that you work with? Yeah, I think, I think the students athletes have had it pretty, pretty rough. Um, you know, I've had, I've even had coaches come to me, like, how do I, how do I re-engage with my athletes? How do I make sure that they're still feeling, how do I check in with them? How do I, um, 
help them bond. I had one aid, assistant AD tell me, he's like, you know, one thing that we're struggling with is, you know, some of our players and so at the high school level, this particular example might be um, doing homeschool because they're still doing virtual learning. And then some are in school and then they have to come together and we have to have some kind of a practice, but they're like coming from like these different worlds and we're having a hard time getting them to gel. Right. So like, so those are just some of the, uh, some of the challenges. So we look at things like, okay, um, for a student athlete, for example, video games are a big way for them. Esports, huge, 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 growing, growing, growing. So looking at that as a way to um, not just to escape what's going on, but we're finding also that, you know, these are where the student athletes are communicating with each other through these video games and that's how they're staying connected. And so how can we help that translate into um, as a team, but then as the individual looking at for the individual athlete, looking at tools like that or looking for different stress management things and understanding that everybody's going through these, these times of uncertainty. And so, um, and again, it comes down to the individual too, right? Because everyone sort of experiences this a little bit differently. Yeah, I, that's a really interesting take because as you were saying the, about the video thing, I'm thinking of male athletes, especially that I know that are mm-hmm. on all the time, you know, as much as they all can. All the time. It is there right. of connecting because there's people on the other end. Um, I think that's why, you know, we talked about Clubhouse at the beginning of this. And I think that's why Clubhouse has taken off because it's a way for people to interact that we haven't had for the last year you know you're meeting people from across the globe that there's no way without clubhouse you would have ever met potentially mm-hmm. you know? i mean it's how you and i met um exactly exactly the host rooms so uh, this is another question regarding that um because this is such a uh, highly specialized niche and i am in that same space too i don't know about you but a lot of times i feel like I'm on an island and I'm mm-hmm. like, it's sometimes I feel like, is this really going to work? Because like, you know, it's not like mainstream is talking about athlete mental health or that there are coaches who actually specialize in this area. So what has been your experience um, in that regard and how you continue to kind of keep things going when you might feel like you're the only person doing it? <laughs> yeah. And thank you for saying that, you know, because it totally does validate some things that I feel sometimes. So I, I appreciate you you saying that because um, I do I do feel that way sometimes. Um, you know what's funny, Shelly, is when I started my social media marketing agency in 2008, I didn't intend it to be a social media marketing agency when I first started, but I had a bunch of time on my hands. So I started to study social media and I was like, wow, this is this could be a really powerful business tool. Now, this was before Facebook pages and to even date it even further my company, the first presence that we had on the web wasn't a website, it was a MySpace account, okay? Like that's how long ago this this was. So, um, but I was sort of a fish out of water there too. I knew that this was something that was going to be, uh, people are like, okay, I started talking about people are like, this is trending, I don't wanna spend money on this, you're, you're crazy. And I was in my, my mid twenties, people were like, you're crazy, young kids, like this is, this is a fad, right? And so, but after a few years, it was like, oh wait, this isn't a fad. And now here I am going into my 14th year of that business. And so I I kind of ha- I kind of look at that experience as, okay, like that's kind of what this feels like now too. Because even though there's a lot of athletes coming forward and talking about this and the conversation's still gonna happen, 
I don't know about you, but I feel like at the individual level, people are still trying to find a comfort level with wanting to prioritize their mental health the way that they prioritize their body. I don't think we've quite gotten there on a mass scale yet. What about you? Yeah, 100% agree with you. Um, and in fact, I have a, a course coming out um, on mental health athletes' peak performance. Um, I'm, it's a collaboration I'm doing with Dr. David Kruger, who has been in this space for a very, very long time. Um, side note, if you want information on it, go to mentorpath.com. Uh, but it's going to be a live training course, and it's it's a webinar, and then we developed playbooks, and he's the the neuroscientist literally behind it, um, and I'm kind of applying it to the real world, right? Uh-huh. And so much of, you know, when I was in athletics, the psychology of athletics was around. You know, we talked about that all the time, the mm-hmm. thinking, the thinking part of athletics, the, you know, the mental, psych- psychological stuff. I find that this mental and emotional conversation is still really uncomfortable for a lot of people. Yeah. B, it's the precursor of being able, being able to develop the psychology necessary to perform because, you know, I have a, a, I struggled personally for so long. I mean, I was reading like Zig Ziglar books when I was 10 years old, you know, like (laughs) that far back, I was really into all of that kind of stuff. But what I found was, a lot of it was just change your thoughts, change your life, right? Oh, Wayne Dyer. <laughs> it was all like think, think, think. And yeah. I had a time in my collegiate career that was really hard and really rough and really, you know, as I look back now, I know it was anxiety and I know it was depression that went undiagnosed. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't think my way out of it. I couldn't mantra my way out of it. I couldn't positive self-talk my way out of it. And as a result, because all these books that I read up to that point said, you should be able to do this. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was like broken. Like, why doesn't this work for me? Until very much later, I figured out, oh, this is a emotional thing. This is an emotional Mm -hmm. regulation and a mental skill that I need to learn. And for me, it was more about understanding our nervous system and how our body responds to trauma and to adversity and on a, a, an actual neurological neuroscience nervous system level. Like it's a real mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not all just up here. It actually starts down here. And until we can learn, like you said earlier, to become aware of your emotions, to become aware of how you're feeling, that you can't really address the core right. of what's going on. So um, I think that we are scraping, we are just at the, you know, precipice of of this becoming more mainstream thankfully mm-hmm. so um i like you know i'm that's why i wanted to talk to you today because i'm like oh somebody that gets it <laughs> <laughs> you know another yeah. person that that understands um so when when i say that to you because i, I kind of look at it through two the true excuse me through three lenses there's the emotional the mental and the psychological how does that uh, how do you look at that how do you see those three working together Yeah. So again, I'm really big on the mind, body, soul part of it. That's sort of that like holistic, everything has to fit because I think, and I think first and foremost, to your point, until you understand yourself and what you're feeling, or you can, you understand how to become aware of those things, you're not going to know what to do with it. Um, So much of it, 
when you're looking at the body and all these different things that happen, um, even spiritually, a lot of things will happen. And it's sort of, it's almost happening on like on a subconscious level. And so, and a lot of the habits that we develop, right. It, and we may not even realize that they're habits, right. We might say, Oh, the world is this way because it just is that way. Well, somewhere you learned that it was that way. Right. So how do you, so, you know, explaining to people that your brain has neuroplasticity and you can actually reformulate, but you have to first understand yourself. Like you can't just say, okay, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy, and then be happy, right? Like you have to like really look at these different things. And I think when you combine the mind, body, soul, that first of all, understanding that, and I think this is really common for, for, um, for athletes, that you're, you're not a robot, you're not a machine, you might be expected to perform that way, and you might want your body to perform that way, but that's not who you are. You know, the, the, the mental part and that, that emotional part is, is inevitable because struggles are inevitable. As long as you're, you're human, you're going to have emotions. So until you accept that, <laughs> <laughs> right, and start to learn how to, like, work through that, all the other stuff is not going to go. And I find with the mind, body, soul, with mindset with you know the way that you treat your body and I don't just mean like in a locker room or a gym or on a field or court playing the game I mean also giving yourself rest I mean you know looking at meditation and, and ways to help de-stress your body because again like you were saying earlier the stuff that happens physically you know you're under duress for a long time and that's, your body's going to break down <laughs> things are going to happen yeah. because that energy it, it goes somewhere and eventually it starts to break down your body so there's so much to this I mean, I guess we could probably talk about this forever. Like you're just saying, we're just kind of scratching the surface here. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think, and then I think when the spiritual part is so huge for me, because I feel like when you don't listen to yourself and you're not in tune with your intuition, you're just you're constantly fighting yourself. And that's not good either. So what would you say of all the things that you've used personally? Um, do you have a favorite practice, like a favorite regulating practice that you can't like go out go without a day or if you do go without it for a day you realize you kind of feel just a little off <laughs> yeah I love yeah yeah I mean because I definitely everyone has like these things in their toolkit right that they use and I have all those different tools but really what's become more and more important to me honestly is mindfulness and meditation and because when I don't do that even if it's just like a few minutes in the morning, I try and work it in and then try to like take a couple breaks during the day to just sit in quiet and breathe and sort of like bring it down a notch, reconnect, come back into the moment because that's where all the mat, that's where everything happens, right? It happens in the moment. But so if I don't do those things with all the, all these different things that I have going on at once, I'm, I'm so stressed out. And then I find then I find that I'm not, thinking as clearly I'm not enjoying my life as much because I'm so busy running trying to check off to-do lists right but but when I have that practice it's much easier to to stay in the moment to say okay wait let me breathe here for a second how am I feeling okay I recognize this I understand this now I'm gonna just look compassionately let it go instead of like I said being at, at war with yourself <laughs> Do you have any um, favorite books that you're reading or that you've read in, in this space that have really, that really helped you to develop uh, your techniques and your practices? Yeah. So one of my favorite books specific for athletes is George, the author is George Mumford Love and him. the book is The Mindful Athlete. And I actually am rereading that again. 
um, right now. I probably read it once a year. <laughs> Speaking of trainings, have you taken his training? I have. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's excellent. He's ex actually yesterday I was listening to one of the classes that he does like six week classes. Um, and, and I was in listening to one of the classes again yesterday. And it's just like the stuff that comes out of there. You're like, man, you know, when you just continue to, he just says it in a way that I think is really easy to, to absorb, uh, where some of these other thought leaders in that space, sometimes it becomes like a little woo woo. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But he's very grounded, you know? So, <laughs> So I, anyway, so I, I really, I really like him. I'm also a big fan of Wayne Dyer. Um, uh, somebody else, I don't know if you've met him on Clubhouse but yet, Dre Baldwin. He doesn't, he's not necessarily like mental health and wellness and mindfulness, but he's, if you're looking for mental toughness, he's the man for that. <laughs> to that point, like, you know, we're talking resources and, and I know we're focused more in on the athlete, but I've also found that the people around the athlete can Mm -hmm. greatly affect positively or negatively that person. And, and I think the younger they are, the more um, impact they have. And that's coaches and parents. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to coaches and parents about how they can best help develop healthy, mentally and emotionally healthy athletes? Yeah. So I think it gets, it gets really hard, right? Because I actually just shared a blog and about this last week, but it's, it gets difficult for coaches. They, they're, they're constantly asking me this question because it's, you know, the locker room is not a therapist's office. So mm -hmm. what do I do to, <laughs> to foster this for, for my kids? And we'll say this, we'll use younger student athletes again. Um, Cause like you're saying, you know, more impressionable. And I think, you know, I have a 17 year old stepdaughter and at least from that space, I can say, that I might ask her a hundred times how she's doing and I might share my little wisdom nuggets or gems or whatever with her a hundred times. And it may feel to me like it's going, but I know she's absorbing it because I'll observe things that she does or I'll, I know that if she's in a crisis and this has happened before, she'll call me because I've left that door open. So I think for, for parents and not to, you know, even just asking like, Hey, how are you? Okay. How was school? All right. You know, um, and then I said, I think for the coaches and parents too, setting that example of being human and, and not being afraid to say, and not in a way that is using the, the kid as like a punching bag. Cause I know sometimes it happens, but you know, it's just but taking it out on them, but just saying, Hey, you know what? Like I made a mistake or today has been a really hard day because of this and, and setting that example through having that communication makes it okay for them to do that, to do that too. Um, and, and I say that because I know not every organization has the resources to have an in-house therapist or psychologist or whatever it might be. Um, so, but being open about that. And then even like incorporating these things into your, into your team meetings where it's like, okay, um, once a week, we're going to do a, a worksheet about um, something having to do with mental health and wellness. Again, it's teaching them those skills. They can do with it what they want. But once again, we're teaching them skills on, on how to own up to your emotions and that it's okay to have emotions. We're setting the example that it's okay because we're sharing that, right? But then also we're, we're letting you know that that door is open should you need to talk to them. Because if you just say to somebody, right, Charlie, like if, if you're, when you, I don't know, when I was going with someone, oh, you know, just come to me if you're having a hard time. I'm not going to come to you if I'm having a hard time. You're not going to understand what's going on in my 16, 17-year-old mind, right? Like, you're not going to get me. 
but it was because <laughs> I didn't have anybody that I felt like would actually get it. Like, oh my God, adults, what do they know? You know, so, but if somebody had said to me some of these other things or talk to me, you know what, like things are tough right now. This is a tough age, mm-hmm. you know, these, these are things that happen and, and like, it's cool. Like I went through it too. Let me tell you about what happened to me. Then maybe things would have been a little bit different. Yeah, I definitely think adults have to be intentional about that. And that's not just for high school students. I mean, I I had, especially early on when the pandemic started and then um, in through the summer when athletes were still scattered all over the country, um, facilitated meetings with coaches across the country for that purpose of like, look, it's not enough to just text them and say, hey, you okay? Or everything good? Or, you know, just like, because every person we do it too yeah i'm good i'm fine things are fine like you literally have to get in and be intentional about the kind of questions that you're asking and a lot of times i find coaches one of the things i've been able that i've actually done a lot of is give them lists of questions to ask like how do i start that conversation like some of them are really struggle with ways Mm -hmm. to connect outside of x's and o's and talking about their performance and those right. are the things, those are the conversations that make the most impact or the most, you know, the, the, the difference that allow that athlete to feel like it's okay for me to feel these feelings, number one, and to feel like they're with a trusted an adult or a trusted other person, and then to let their guard down, you know? Right. Because one of the things that I have found that really does affect performance, which is all, what all coaches want, right? They want, they want to get the most out of their athletes. But if they're constantly in that heightened state of threat or protection or feeling like they can't, you know, deal with what's going on, they're not going to perform at their best. Mm-hmm. So um, what are some of those, like, if there was a coach listening right now, what would one thing you would tell a coach to say, you know, to try to open the gates for that, for that conversation to happen? Yeah, I think one thing. <laughs> It doesn't have to be the only thing. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think, again, just saying, you know, I'm reminded of an article that I read. um, It was the ACC. I think it was a North Carolina coach. I'm drawing a blank on his name right now. And basically he tells this story where he said just in his locker room, hey, you know, like I know, um, you know, things are tough, you know, this, and I guess it was maybe it was on the heels of something happening to somebody else. But anyways, he said, you know, if you're in this really bad place, I want you to know you know, my door is open, you can come to me, da 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 And out of that conversation, one of his players actually did come to him and say, you know what, I think you just might have just saved my life by just saying that, because I'm going through this really rough time, and I needed to have sort of like that permission to, to come and open up. And I think, I think the second part of that is like, there's this, this, when we're talking about scratching the surface here on this conversation is I think there's a lot of confusion still between can I be mentally tough and have still have my mental wellness balance and it, it's not to say for coaches you know your players don't have to be in their emotions to be playing right so there's there's techniques actually to mindfulness that teach you mental toughness and they teach you to focus and they teach you to not get so scattered all over the place when you're playing right so either you need to increase your energy or decrease your energy to perform whatever it is you know, there's techniques that teach you all of these things, but at the same time, understanding that outside of that, right, outside of the play, outside of all these other things, that 
being better well-rounded and understanding how to better grasp your emotions will actually make your players better players. Yes. hundred percent. Couldn't agree with that more. Um, I know you were talking a lot about, you know, uh, things to, to work on because that's the athlete mindset, right? It's like, I go, 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 go. I always have to yeah. be doing, doing, but I know you recently posted or fairly recently a blog about the importance of mental rest. Mm-hmm. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So, oh, thanks for checking that out. <laughs> so, but yeah, I did because when we think of rest, I think that we think of resting the body, which of course there is absolutely, you know, that's why we have off days. That's why you don't train every single day. That's why, you know, we'll understand, okay, even at our basic principles of let's use physical training, for example, you're, you're going to go weight train, your muscles are going to get sore. It's because those muscles are having those micro tears and it needs to rebuild. And that's how you get stronger and da, 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 right. But the way that you allow those muscles to repair and the way that you avoid injury is to rest your body because again, you're not a machine. And we have this beautiful understanding of that as a part of our physical body, right? But it's not always of our, our mental body because again, like that mental side where it's, you know, people don't understand that like there's so much strength in learning how to train your mind to, to, to rest and to, um, to not be overreactive, right? That's another benefit. We're talking about benefits for athletes specifically is, you know, is learning how to be more in the flow, um, more in a, in a zone, but by not letting these other things sort of distract you and come to you. And, and I think, especially in, in with some, all the technology and everything we have today, it's, it's super easy to always be connected to something or someone or always be listening to a clubhouse or a podcast or on a video game or connecting with somebody this way or this or that. Mm-hmm. But going back to what I said earlier, learning how to take that mental rest of just quiet and sitting with yourself and letting things go and just really enjoying that moment, even if it's just for like three minutes, like a few times a day, you'll be amazed at how much more energized you are, how much more clear thinking you are, how much better you feel you can make decisions, how much more in tune you are with yourself, how things don't bother you as much. So that mental rest is so huge, but it's something that you have to learn how to do on your own, right? And and again, it's not something like, oh, okay, I'm gonna take a mental rest, let me read this book, let me binge watch this Netflix series. No, your mind's still going. Right. So it's just sort of so giving it that same, giving it a break <laughs> the way you might give your body a break. I think that's good advice for anybody, athlete or not, um, and because like you said, we're in a world of 24 seven technology, 24 seven information. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not on the phone or not working on your computer, you're on your you're on your, you know, scrolling through your phone, like you said, or right. watching TV. There's never a time other than when you go to bed, which is probably why. Uh, this country has the worst sleep <laughs> habits. Uh, right. Your brain can't shut down. Your brain can't shut. You stay overstimulated. You don't give yourself that space to calm down. And for some people, they might be really comfortable with that overstimulation, by the way, um, because it, it can make you feel like you're being um, productive or like it, for people who have anxiety, like that, having that control and having stuff to do is sort of like like a buffer between them and the anxiety because at least they're doing something and they're trying to feel better. It actually can feel really uncomfortable to just sit and just be, but there's that's part of the healing. 
Well, it's also become an, uh, a form of addiction. You know, Absolutely. Talk about people that are addicted to drugs or alcohol or gambling or shopping. Scrolling on social media is an addiction. Um, and I, I think especially like with this high school to college, you know, young adult uh, age group, because we, they grew up with these phones, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a way to check out. Like any addiction is just, you're just trying to check out from reality right. from, and not, feel, right. you don't want to feel what's going on inside your body. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think it's also interesting for, as I mentioned, like from the coach, coach parent perspective to like pay attention to that. Yeah. Because yeah. If, you're, if your child or your athlete is constantly on their phone and doesn't know how to function without that stimulation, right. there's something more going on there. Yeah. And it's, and I think, but I think it's really normal, right? Because they all sit there and do it. So like my stepdaughter, she'll be on TikTok for hours and I'll have to say to her like, okay, can you put your phone down for five minutes for 20 minutes? Let's go on a walk and we'll go on a walk throughout the neighborhood and get fresh air. And we'll just chat again, another way to sort of bond with them, um, with her. Um, you know, I mean, some parents, they prefer to play the video games with their kids, whatever it is. But I mean, if you want to just like making sure that you're disconnecting and giving them giving them a way to do that and do and it. And it's hard for you too, as a parent, right? Like it's really freaking hard for me, especially with my daughters in social media to put this yeah. stupid phone away sometimes oh, because then it's like this part of the fear of missing out. Like, am I missing a notification? Should I be responding to that? Or um, is somebody doing this? And I think, I think the other layer of it for, for athletes is at any level is that they are probably thinking about their life after sports. And a lot of that growing increasingly as I'm, as I'm learning and I'm talking to more people is I want to be an influencer. I want to be an entertainer. I want to be an actor. I want to be a rapper. I want to be, I want to be, you know, a YouTube star, whatever it is. And that sort of becomes like just as important as being, as being the athlete is not more important for some of them. And where is that all happening? It's happening here on the phone and in these other spaces. And so Oh my God, that disconnect is like, it's, it's a discipline. It's really takes discipline, but yeah. it's so, it sounds silly, but it's so impactful. I have to say personally, I gave up, I think it was in August. I, not that younger kids are on Facebook, but people are, age <laughs> older are. Um, from August until like the middle, right around November, I just stopped, oh. stopped Facebook because it was so ugly and it was so divisive. Yes. It was like the greatest thing I could have done. It was, it, it like, I felt like my soul was being cleansed. <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned a word, uh, a phrase, mental toughness. And I used to, you know, live and die by mental toughness. I had to be tough, 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 tough. I now hate that phrase. And <laughs> because of all of the stigma around it, I think, and especially in this space, I believe that people, when they are so focused on mental toughness, that if they don't have it, like it's either you have it or you don't, right? Right. But it's not mentally tough. She's she can't handle it. She's not tough enough mentally. So you, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a it's an either or. You it's you either have it or you don't. So and what is the opposite of toughness to people? Well, to an athlete, the opposite of toughness is weakness. Mm-hmm. So that just makes them. You know, do you want to talk about a confidence crusher? It's using right. the term, I prefer to use the term mental fitness because just like our fi- physical fitness, we all have different levels, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody has a different level of mental fitness. And it's something that can be learned. It's something that can be strengthened or you and I wouldn't have jobs, <laughs> you know? Right. 
And so when you hear that term, and the reason I bring this up is because obviously the podcast is too much grit to quit. And I ask everyone this question, what is your definition of grit? Because I think that most people think it's that, you know, grit your teeth together, pull yourself up, yeah. be tough. And that's, that can be part of it. But it, to me, it's, it's not, it's so much more. And it goes so much beyond that kind of, I don't need anybody else, me against the world mentality. Mm-hmm. When you hear that word grit, what does it mean to you? I think of... I think of resiliency and flexibility mm. because I'll use the example of, you know, I told you earlier that I went through this period of depression and, and I didn't even mention that when I was in college and I had some, I started to experience anxiety and this and that. And, but specifically with the depression and with other really, really difficult parts of my life, because I will say this. So I learned that, you know, emotions that are, soft or weak. I learned all those things in sports, but I also learned how to be competitive in terms of, of not giving up um, and just trying again. And that resiliency did wonders for all those times that I've been in like these really, really dark, like bad places, because I know that like somewhere in me, I'm not I can't quit. I just, I just, I just can't quit. Right. So there's, I have to give myself this opportunity and just get tough with my, and just do what needs to be done. But then I also have learned over the decades that this, that you have to be able to be um, flexible because not everything might not happen exactly as how you plan. Some days are going to be better than others. Stuff is going to happen good and bad, whether you want to or not, because that's just, happens to everybody right so sort of having this flexibility but then also you know part of part of that mental toughness thing i think is people learn to be super hard on themselves and myself included and so i had to learn how to be resilient but also um compassionate with myself mm. i you love know, that. that that i'm going to continue to try yeah you know and i'm going to continue to to you know we'll use the word of 2020 pivot you know, as, as things happen, but I'm not going to quit, right? I'm going to stay resilient. And so those are sort of the things that I think make up that, that grit. Yeah. I love that you, that you said that. And that, that's what I think. I, I, it's, there's more like the toughness part of it is a piece of it. And mm-hmm. without, without the, the vulnerability side, without the self-compassion and the self-care mm-hmm. side, you're going to burn out and you're going to, you're going to hit a wall. And that's when all the mental, that's when the anxiety and the depression and all of that stuff sets in. Mm-hmm. So Misty, how, I know you, you mentioned you have the book, you do one-on-one coaching with athletes. Yeah. What other uh, ways can people work with you? Yeah. So those are the main things, by the way, the book you can get at athletementalhealthplaybook.com. I'm actually giving away free paperback copies right now. So if you're interested in that, you go there, athlete mental Ooh. health playbook.com yeah you can check that out and then um yeah but on um on my website so i do have offer availability for one-on-one coaching but let's just say that you know you're just trying to put toe in the water you're just trying to get some of this information there if you go to my so if you go to my website purposefulathletics.com and you click on the there's on the home page but also also on the resources tab you can just put in your email and i'll start sending you emails every week where we're talking about different things that normalize emotions 
And those are some ways to start to, um, sometimes I'll put in like worksheets or exercises or meditations or whatever, because I'm really big on, on giving people resources um, because depending on where you are, you may not be ready to just jump in and work one-on-one with a coach, but maybe something like that is is something that you're you're interested in. So, um, and every once in a while too, I'll speak to teams. Um, like for instance, I've spoken with a local high school college, I mean, a local high school football team. They were super cute. One of the athletes <laughs> was like, I have a question. I'm like, yeah, what's your question? He goes, what's anxiety? And I thought, oh my God, this so is, we have to have these know. conversations. <laughs> these poor kids, like they don't know. And I'm like, man, that's such a, thank you so much for asking that, you know? So anyways, so we you can do stuff YouTube like that. Channel too. Too. Is that correct? Yes, and I have. I do have the YouTube channel. Um, all of my social media is at the Misty Buck. So if you just look up T A T Misty Buck, you'll find all of my all of my social media channels. But yeah, I, I publish stuff on the the YouTube channel as well. Thank you for reminding me of that. Absolutely. Well, I will put all of that in the show notes. And cool. uh, I want to thank you once again for taking time out of your day to just share all about what you do. And I appreciate the work that you're doing. Thank you. Right back at you. Yeah, I think we're. Like you said, we're just scratching the surface and we're just getting started, but it's, it's a needed space. So I appreciate you. That's a wrap for this edition of Too Much Grit to Quit on Blue Wire Hustle. I'm your host, Shelly Till. Please join me again the next time and make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform.